Hey guys, this is Coach Keita Bussey with 180 Firearms Training Podcast, joined today with Grant Chancellor Madison and sponsored by Da Vinci Machining. They make very reliable PCCs. And today we have Chris Ost joining us. Now, Chris and I met at Nationals a few years ago. We were on the same squad and he actually shoots Revolver and he is a GM in Revolver, which is very difficult to to do. You want to talk a little bit about that, Chris? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's definitely a, a new experience. I don't think I've ever been like interviewed live before, so this is kind of cool. Um, so I think a lot of people have probably heard about Jerry Mitchell. Act. Super you awesome know, guy. Yeah, just a little bit, you know. Right, he, right. That name rings a bell. <laughs> right. I mean, so uh, he is. He's got his own little uh, lineup of uh, Smith and Wesson and Mossberg uh hearts and guns but grew up watching him and his videos and his uh, uh world records and um i've got a buddy of mine he's a mentor he mentored me and he's like oh i want to shoot three gun cool let's shoot three gun and it's so much fun yeah i don't really like the shotgun part but Oh, I but love I was really the shotgun part. <laughs> yeah? Do you shoot open shotgun or do you have to like load them like with the quads? Well, I wanted to learn how to quad load. So I did actually load them, but I've nice. also shot the open. Just playing okay. around, having fun. Right. I mean, it's so it's 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 fun and it's nice, but it's just I just want to shoot pistol. You know, that's it's the a, big thing. It's a different challenge. First of all, shooting pistol is probably one of the most difficult guns to learn how to shoot well but you took it to the next level with revolver that's right 10 times if not more difficult than just a semi-auto pistol yeah i mean kind of kind of but kind of not really because it's all the same fundamentals um my three gun pistol was a tricked out i think i still have it floating around here somewhere you not uh M&P uh, long slide and I had done some gunsmithing on it and got it down to like a pound and a half trigger and um, it was just it was fun you know you've got 23 rounds and you just blast away at you know Texas stars and even if you miss you just keep shooting because you've got all this extra ammo <laughs> accuracy through volume and all of that right right exactly and then and you then, decided that wasn't good enough so I need six rounds only right well the the ones that I shoot are eight because nobody okay. really in America shoots six I know yeah, one guy us, yeah, us about huh? the divisions and all of that tell us about right. the gun you shoot tell us all about your gun right. and your setup. so um well, the reason that I started shooting a revolver is that um, I saw videos. This was right about the time where World Shoot 2017 in France was going on. I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. I want to do that. How do I, you know, because I want to start shooting pistol only. So USPSA. How do I get to the World Shoot? Well, let's go for the, I guess, the least popular division, which is so revolver. <laughs> right like like i'm like well you know so uh my buddy has a uh a, my mentor he had a 627 which is an eight shot 357 and we started sharing that gun and it's like you know hey this is going to be cool because it's you know like jerry mitchell jr going on because you know famous revolver shooter um so I don't remember how many years ago it was. This is before I started shooting, um, but they changed the rules in USPSA and IPSC to inst- you can shoot either six shot major or you can shoot eight shot minor. Um, and at that point, everyone switched over in America, at least to the eight shot minor guns, just because there were too many arrays <clears throat> or you get into a position and it'll be, uh, like what you were talking about earlier, Grant, uh, you shoot six shots and then you have to reload, stand and reload, and then shoot two more and then move on to the next position. Yeah, so, so your stage plan is run to a position, shoot all the guns dry, reload, stand and reload, shoot two rounds, and then move and rinse and repeat. Right. 
Right. And I mean, you can kind of finagle that um, depending like a lot of the good to stage designers uh, are at least. Oh, what's the word? Forgiving or, you know, they, they keep us revolver shooters, maybe even single stack guys in mind that, you know, you don't have to run up and shoot eight. You might be able to, you know, take a 25 yard shot from back here and pick off you know, the one target over here and then run up and take the other three. But um, pretty much everybody switched to the eight shots, um, which, is, so which major, is nice. So major versus minor didn't really come into to effect because it's like, well, everyone's shooting minor now. So you're basically competing with all a bunch of guys shooting minor. Exactly. Um, okay. I did shoot. Huh? I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have four paper targets behind a wall and also one steel behind that wall. They are only available from that position. Standing reload. So are you going to take the standing reload or are you going to shoot down the steel and take one mic on one target to not do a standing reload? So I guess it depends on the hit factor that you think is going to happen. Um, or like what everybody else has been shooting. Um, Does that play into your stage plan? Have you ever confronted something like that? So not, not necessarily. Um, also, I think that's technically against the rules because you can only have, what is it? Eight shots per position. I think it's 10. I don't think so. I think it's eight. Because I had to argue that at a match think, once. Because oh, I wish Mike was here because Mike just took the R class. Mike would know because he's the R class. I think it's eight or nine Mike, maximum. Mike is busy golfing, so right? <laughs> he's too cool for us. <laughs> but I mean, so obviously, when you get to the local matches, they're not always going to follow that right rule set. So there's been you know a time where I had to take sixteen shots from a single position. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you could just back up a little bit. Like, no, <laughs> not really. Like, that's still the same spot. That was their solution. <laughs> right. Back up a little bit. Um, like, so really don't shoot revolvers. I was always told um, never, never take the mic. Um, and I've gotten it down to the point where it's maybe a sub two second reload. Yeah, your reloads are quick. So, and that's, you know, it's probably the biggest thing. It's like shooting shotgun in um, three gun. You spend less time shooting and more time reload. It's just all reload. Mm-hmm. Just practice reloading. If you practice reloading or don't even practice shooting, you're going to be pretty good. So I, 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 I don't think I would ever take the mic. Especially okay. like if it's in that, you know, like if you're, if it's a high hit factor stage and you're trying to push it. Like I might take two shots on that steel and miss. So <laughs> then I'd have two mics that I have to deal with. So I'm going to have to reload anyway. Well, and if you have a sub two second reload, I mean, your standing reload isn't going to cost you that much depending on the hit factor of the stage. But for well, guys you where- say that, but in IPSIC, that, I mean, if a, a two, like 1.8 seconds, let's just say that, that might be, you might actually take the mic and just basically um, equal out any gain you got by actually hitting an alpha on that in an IPSIC stage. And then the have more rounds for the next position. Yeah. It's something to think about, though. Right. But at the same time, you're also competing against other revolvers. And, like, there's there might be a couple that are like that good like uh i know uh sasha beck in germany he's he's pretty good so it depends on like who you're up against and are you actually trying to win that sort of thing Um, but it might also if you if you blaze through a position like that and take a mic but using that as more momentum forward to the next position and have more rounds at the next position that might actually i mean Yes, you'll have a mic, but the hit factor might be higher. And right. at that top level, 
if you can gain five points on someone on a stage, it it's quite a lot. Right. Yeah, it would depend but, on the stage for sure. But yeah, it would depend on the stage. Don't like, okay, oh, there's a steel there. I'm gonna mic something. <laughs> don't 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 don't. don't well, and you wouldn't want to have like if it's a steel, you wouldn't want to have the FTE. But mm. okay, so let's let's say this: you miss the steel, but you shot at it, so it's not a failure to engage. And now you're out of rounds. Are you gonna do a standing reload and re-engage the steel? Uh, I, I think that's worth it at that point. <laughs> yeah. Take a, a procedural mic that they'll co probably cost you more than a standing reload, I think. Okay. Well, I'm, how I'm is that? I'm trying to do the math in my head. How is that? One of the any things different? with revolver is that you're always going to reload in between positions, almost always. Like, I don't, then there might have been like one, one match, one stage where I didn't reload in between two positions. Or I didn't have to, but did it anyway because I'm so used to it, even though I had, you know, mentally walked through the stage plan. Um, so having more rounds for the next position doesn't really like have too much of an effect. But but yeah, as far as like standing reload and then a steal, like eh, it's 50-50. But I I think all the top revolver guys would just do the standing reload, even if they might. And then okay, so if you do that, if you do that standing reload, now your round count could be off the for the rest of the stage. So are you then going to reload again where you mm -hmm. plan to reload? Yep. Yeah, it's just so revolver is a reloading game. So basically every single time that you move positions, the gun's coming down, you're inserting another clip, I believe. It is a clip, yeah. This is I'm yep. using the yep. yeah, okay. yeah. We we'll use clips. I used it correctly. It's, not a, <laughs> it's a magazine. Not a magazine. It's a clip. It's, yeah, so it is actually a little. Clip. So, yeah, the half moon uh, one moon. or the moon, the full moon clips that you use. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and your revolver is very, chambered very in nine mil. Yeah. It's it's some strange. So Smith and Wesson, I guess, they don't know how to use or uh, work with titanium, so they contracted the cylinders out to Taurus and I guess Taurus uh, chambered them for 9 by 21 but then the barrels are all 38 caliber so it's like 9 by 21 or no 38 by 21 um, technically 21. which is yeah. like it's okay. a, they just say 9 millimeter and it's like, Sorry, Taurus it's in South Africa does not have a very good record no neither here they it, it's kind of a hit or miss you know it, maybe you'll get a lemon but you probably will and there's no real <laughs> support right so can you tell us about single action versus double action how that all works with shooting in uspsa um so single action I mean, I'm assuming everyone knows what the difference is between single action and double action, but I'll use this one because my revolver actually doesn't have the hammer spur on it. Single action, uh, so you would cock the hammer, and then the trigger is only doing one thing, and that it's releasing the hammer. That is a short trigger pull. Right? Whereas double action, uh, it is both cocking the hammer and releasing it once it gets to the end of travel. Uh, no one shoots single action at in in matches. I I think I've shot one match where some guy brought his old Colt Anaconda out, and it did have the hammer spur. But for the most part, we just cut it off because we try to grip as high as we can on the guns. And if you have the hammer spur there, it could bite into your thumb uh, or the webbing in between your thumb and your index finger. So we just chop it off. Interesting. Or even if we like, huh? Interesting. Oh, and if we, um, even the uh, like Apex or any of the other revolver manufacturers uh, that make parts for the, for the guns, um, they typically won't even have hammer spurs. I see you've done some polishing around the cylinder where there's contact with that locking thing. Can you mm -hmm. just explain that? Because that is not something that I've ever seen. Um, so I've heard, now this is just 
for uh, for looks. I don't think it actually does anything because the ti- uh, the cylinder is titanium. Um, but back in the day, there was a guy. I don't remember his name. I think it was like Bob something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not right? Bob Vogel. I don't think he's ever shot a revolver in his it life. It could be, oh, yeah, you has. know, like uh, has you know, his old service weapon back when he was a police officer back in the seventies, probably. <laughs> <laughs> How old uh, are you that you think Bob Vogel would be a police officer in the seventies? I mean, you never know. I don't know how old he no. is. No, no. He's probably my age, honestly. No, he was probably born around 1980, I would guess. Maybe 79. Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> Moving I on. Mean, depending on some of the, the, the small town Ohio uh, police departments, uh, you know, maybe they don't have a budget. Maybe they did, you know, issue revolvers back when. Yeah. And all time is a hard <laughs> Old, old people are hard to change when, you know, it's a newfangled thing with all the ammo. You know, I did see a video where, I don't remember, it was, it was some shootout somewhere. I think it was in Vegas. And the guy had trained on a revolver for years and years. And then the department issued them um, semi-autos. And then when he went to, like, reload it, he, like, switched hands and did, like, try to do the typical revolver reload but he couldn't because it was a clock and i'm like <laughs> damn i would hate for that to happen to me because i carry some my autos yeah um, okay well, i was going to ask you about your edc because you shoot revolvers competitively so clearly you must carry a revolver correct uh no no i don't <laughs> they don't hold enough bullets for me <laughs> you don't want to have to reload every time you uh run to a different position of color. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what do those full moons cost? Uh so the really good ones will cost eight dollars a piece. Okay. Um and you buy them in a set of 10. Um TK Custom makes them and then also uh Hearthco uh will make them and then branch products. There's a bunch of different companies that make them. Uh, I think Smith and Wesson the ones that come with a gun are made from uh, ranch products, but uh, you got to tune it to the gun. Uh, one of the other things is that uh, these are 40,000 thick is the ones that I use. Um, they're stainless steel, so they don't stick to the magnets as well. So they're easier to pull off. Um, but also that extra thickness means that the cartridge is sitting closer to the um, the blast shield, the firing pin. Um but you want to have the primers when you load them seated as deep as you can just because of how light the trigger poles are. Give it a bit more momentum when it's hitting the primer. Right. You don't want to have that firing pin hit the primer and then have to push the primer forward until it has enough force to crush it against the anvil. Yeah. So... Um, that's why we use the, the thick ones. Also, they're um, they're a little bit more rigid. Some of the the looser ones, you can actually have bullet droop, and instead of being like perpendicular, yeah, it will actually droop like that. And then when you try to throw the moon clip into the gun, they don't line up with the holes as well as they could. So then and, your reloads suffer. And how do you feel right after you shot? When you're walking around looking at your targets and some semi-auto shooter comes and steps on your full moon. So <laughs> I've got this as a uh, someone had So for the audio it. rip if you're only on audio he's showing us a full moon with a rock wedged into the middle between all the bullets. Right. And this is from this is actually from the IRC. So it was a bunch of revolver shooters and someone stepped on it. So they should know better. But I mean, they're, I don't want to say they're disposable. They are $8 a piece, but. Um, so how long do they last typically? How long are you going through them basically? Until you lose one or you step on one. Okay. Yeah, so so it, before a match, I'm assuming you're basically just checking to make sure that. Right. You, like we case gauge ammo, you check your moon clubs. Right. So um, we case gauge it as well. 
um, it it's a little cylindrical case gauge with eight holes, and then it case gauges and it checks the flatness of the moon clip when you slide it in. So it should drop right in just as easily as it would drop into your cylinder. Oh, that's cool. Okay. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. And we were talking, so, we were on that, we're on ammo now. I want to go, I, I want to talk about the, uh, we were chatting about it previous, uh, before we started the podcast. You were going to go to the world shoot in Thailand, which was canceled, postponed, canceled, whatever. Um, I just wanted you to talk about your ammo situation that you guys were trying to sort out just for the, right. the audience. Sure. So um, it's, I think it's like an 800 round match they're expecting. Um, yeah. And of course you want to bring extra or maybe it's a 500 and you're, you know, you obviously bring extra. Yeah. It's about 800. You're going to bring. Yeah. Right. So uh, the airlines, which I'm assuming is how everyone is going to get to Thailand limits you to five kilograms of ammo, which I want to say is about, Maybe half, or a little pounds. less than half. <laughs> right, yeah. Less than what you would actually need to even complete the match. So um, we're trying to work with um, the ammo manufacturers in Thailand, which is actually, uh, there's only like two that are affiliated with the IPSC and the World Shoot. And there might even be just two in the country because of how strict their laws are with people owning things. Um some of the problems that you have to have with a Brevo or that you were having with Brevos is that one, <clears throat> you want to use federal primers and they want to be seated as deep as you possibly can. You actually flatten um, the cup uh, because our actions are tuned because we all load our own ammo. So we're going to get them as light as possible. So we use the federals and then um, we want to get them seated deep so that the fire and pin ignites them. Uh, also, Smith & Wesson, when they made these, they just used existing revolver barrels, which are all um, 38 caliber instead of 9mm, which is what the gun is supposedly chambered for, is 9mm. So it's not too much. Um, I know one guy that has a 355 barrel, um, which he, we slugged it, you know, you drop the piece of lead in there and you pound it through and then you measure it when it comes out the end. But the rest of us, all of our barrels are 38 caliber. So there's like a three thousandths difference, which could really affect accuracy and power factor um, once you get down there. So um, you've got a nine millimeter casing. Um, we'd obviously want to use federal primers if possible. We can, we can tune the guns up to have uh, heavier primers. Um, but we all load them long because when Smith & Weston designed these, instead of setting the barrel back and then having a cylinder that is um, nine millimeter length, they sent it to Taurus and Taurus made it a little longer. So we want to be able to jump that cylinder or that um, the throat uh, a little quicker. So we try to load it as long as possible. And we need this 38 caliber bullet shoved into a nine millimeter case that nobody makes. So we're trying to like talk to the guys in Thailand and be like, can you make it? And then uh, when they do it, they're going to have to crimp it even harder than they normally would because for whatever reason, I don't know if it's with the cylinder spinning around or the recoil impulse or what, but um, some of the factory ammo, like uh, I went to Nationals and it was sponsored by Federal and they had some of the Federal Syntec ammunition or guys were trying to like buy Federal ammo off the shelves to take the matches and they'd put eight rounds in a moon clip and they'd shoot six and they'd come back and the bullets would be jumped almost completely out of the case. Wow. So that's definitely going to affect your accuracy. So we always, when we load our own ammo, obviously we crimp it as much as possible so we don't get the bullet jump. However, I still get a little tiny bit. And for the most part, it, um, it doesn't affect anything, but I do have a bag that I think I say from nationals of every time that I shot, you know, six shots 
and I'd take those two and I'd put them in a bag and then I'm going to test them and see how bad the accuracy actually is at distance. So when I get to the world shoot, you know, if I've got a 40 yard partial or whatever the hell they're going to throw at me, you know, is that going to go into my stage plan? Is that going to be, I'm going to have to take that one first because I know that the bolts are going to jump and the accuracy is going to suffer by the time I get around to those, if I shoot it last. Mm. So that's still that something is. that I'm not even like, <clears throat> I haven't even tried it yet. That's so much bag. stuff in your head that you have right. to worry yeah. about at the world shoot. And yeah, so they the are going to have 50 yard targets. They are going to have 40 yard partials. They're going to have these little steel plates that are square and teeny tiny and probably painted the same color as the background. Right. And also the problem is you'll find is you'll probably, it'll be an open target, but where you're going to take it from, you're going to turn it into a very small partial target as well. And it's going to be far away. I know when we were looking at match ammo, it was going to be CCI primers, a bit of Ori powder and frontier bullets. And that's what the, the official match ammo is going to be loaded with. So I don't know how the, the hardness is between CCI and federal, but it's probably what they're going to be using there right but and i, I mean know. like we can deal with the the cci primers it's not going to be nice i mean like right now our triggers are six seven eight pounds anyways um right but then we'd have to crank them up even more and then so your training before the world shoot is actually going to be making sure the gun ignites pretty much everything and then shooting it with a heavier worse trigger right well, so that's the interesting thing is that I'm talking to these guys and they're giving me load data and there's like, well, we're going to try this and this and this. I'm like, all right. So I went out and I bought the primers, which Vitavori primer or uh, powder with Vitavori is like kind of hard to get. So I had to like, and it's expensive. <laughs> right. It is it's like $35 a pound. That's so cheap, but okay. Well, we'll, well, well I mean, like for here, you're in South <laughs> Africa. So well, how much yeah. is it there? uh it's 80 80 dollars a half a pound 80 dollars a pound yeah 500 grams goodness it's a it's a premium powder shall right we all right so here's anyway. the thing if you're traveling to the world shoot in thailand and you're having all these ammo issues what you do is use their ammo as a backup plan in right. case you can't get in the ammo you need so you pack the ammo you need. You have two checked bags. On the way back, usually in other countries, you can't fly with ammo and the gun in the same suitcase. So you have to have two suitcases anyway in case you're returning with ammo and a gun, unless you leave everything there. So what you do or can do, and I'm not recommending this. <laughs> I'm just saying I've seen people do this. There are a few things you can do on the way there. It's okay to have ammo in the same bag as the gun, just not on the way back. So you distribute the ammo between the two checked bags. You hide as much of it as you can inside underwear or whatever. <laughs> and when you check your bags, first you give them the bag without the gun and have them check it. And when you hand them the bag with the gun, you say, Oh, by the way, I have a firearm. First bag is already gone. So whatever you have in the bag with the firearm is within the weight limit. Right. I, I've seen people do it, get away with it. I won't say I ever did it, but I've seen right. it work. Admit nothing. Um, I admit seen nothing. It's right. not against the law. It's only airline yeah, it's policy. Just, right. Well, it's not against the law in the United States, but um, right. the flights exactly. that I was looking at, uh, I think a lot of them or some of them connected in Korea, like if you fly Delta. So I don't know how they, now granted, they're not going to screen it again. I don't think how that. that Only if you use. don't switch airlines. Right. So. so find out what their hub is and fly that hub. So if it's a Delta fl hub, fly Delta. If it's American Airlines, fly American Airlines. So you don't have to switch airlines. The problem with traveling internationally is when you switch airlines, the communication is poor. A lot of times it ends up going through security again. 
I actually almost got arrested in Australia once for this <laughs> because nice. I got on Delta, switched to Australian airlines and Delta didn't tell them there was a firearm in the bag. <laughs> so then the police came and said, uh, why is there a gun in your bag? Well, luckily there was that signed piece of paper saying I declared it. So everything turned out okay, but switching airlines can get tricky traveling internationally. Definitely stick to the just one single airline because then it just goes straight through without being checked again. Okay, so here's a plan B if you don't want to kind of run the uh, roulette of getting caught. <laughs> not saying well, no it's not about getting caught because when you leave America, it's totally legal. It's just against their policy. So the only thing is if they decide they're going to weigh your ammunition before you leave, that's when it can be a problem. And then whatever extra is over that weight limit, you just have to leave there. And then you end up using your backup plan, which is buying ammo when you arrive. Yeah. Right. So the backup, no, the, the backup plan is you have ammo that you know that works and you'll have there's going to be more speed shoot stages than there will be long course, long field courses because it's it's IPSC or shorter nine round stages. So you kind of save the ammo that you know works first of all for the ones where you don't need to reload in. Well, you will need to reload in, but um, you save the ammo for the short ones and you save the ammo for that reload where you know you're going to have to hit a far target or far partial. So you're when you go through the matchbook and you start plotting out kind of where you reloads are going to be it's like i'm going to load my your magnet to where the third one for instance is going to have my ammo and the rest are going to have the bought match ammo so yep. when i reload into it it's going to be reloaded into my match ammo that i know works for that hard target and then you just pray that it doesn't fall off the magnet as you're running <laughs> <laughs> and there are not going to be to reloads I mean, there'll be a few hoser targets here and there, but there are not going to be hoser stages. There'll be activated sequences. Right. And that, yes. that sounds so exciting to me. Like watching um, the videos that uh, Eric Rafael puts up on Facebook and it's just like four different activators and eight different mm -hmm. swingers. And it's like, yes, I want to do that. Yeah. And you got to activate them perfectly or else uh, your stage doesn't go so well. Right. Like, Oh, no, that's also going to be fun. So, if it ever happens. Uh, to me. So what's going on with the world shoot now? Are they, when is it supposed to happen? Mm, the end of November, 2022. Okay. So and how long has had, it been delayed for? It was supposed to be 2020, right? No. It was so awesome. They had the whole thing. It was like 2020 and then it was kind of like they had the whole design and everything when they postponed it. It was like someone just typixed out the zero and added a one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now they've, they've redesigned it now. Well, it's I think it was <clears throat> um, they used the zero as an O and they put an NE. So it says yeah. 20201. But yeah, and then <laughs> um, I guess with the mix of how many people have been able to get vaccinated in some of the other countries um and that's another thing is that what if the people don't want to get vaccinated i don't know how right. it is and everywhere else but like in america we're we're not we're not about that really the, maybe well, a minority what happens is you have to take a covid test a pcr test before you can fly there so you have a 72 hour window before you get on the plane that you have to get a PCR test to go to a different country. Yeah. Right. Which well, can be a problem because sometimes you don't get results for four to five days. Right. Which is too late to get on the plane. Well, Thailand, I think Thailand specifically said that you couldn't enter the country, period, unless you were vaccinated as like a foreign. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they're going to have to, they, they, they need to still redo all of the criteria now. So we'll see what the criteria comes out with. I mean, you don't have a world shoot if you don't have the American team there. Right. Or right. any of the American well, teams. You. You don't, <laughs> it's true. You don't. It's not a world shoot without, without the Americans. It's a, and also Europe as well. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it would be easier for us in our lowly 
third world countries to win, but um, we just want to compete against the best, not have an easy win just because someone didn't show up. Right. And so that was the other thing is that they had a they had a Pan Am that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this year. Um, yeah, and that was I actually canceled. paid for it, and I signed up for it and paid for it, and they canceled it, and I asked for a refund, and they said no. Okay. I'm so a little bit let, triggered about that. They're going to let you <laughs> shoot it next year when they have it, hopefully? They said, or... no, it's not canceled. It's rescheduled, so you don't get reimbursed. Uh, and I was like, tricky. Oh, so you get a f- okay. So when the flights are like 10 times more <laughs> next year, you get a free flight, right? Man, like for the price of that match, I could have flown to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that was it was steep was it it was like f- over 400 yeah it yeah. was like between 450 and 500 and i'm so, like well i, I told them because they're like hey do you want to shoot on the u.s national <laughs> team for the pan am and i said i'd love to but i want to save all my pennies for a world shoot so if world shoot doesn't happen then i will shoot on the u.s team well, mm-hmm. they're like, well, we have to know in three days because apparently that's the time that Ipsic let them for the slots. And I'm like, well, then no, no I'm not going to pay, you know, 400 and some dollars plus everything to drive mm-hmm. down or fly down or rent, whatever. And then they cancel it anyway. So it's okay. Well, they didn't cancel it or we would well, be getting refunds. Right, they post- right. <laughs> postponed it. But now, like, who knows if that's even going to work with my schedule? Like, I planned my schedule around this match, and then they moved it, and I don't know now if I can even do it. Right. But no refund for you. Nah, Kitabasi will make a plan to be at the world shoot, (laughs) because some of us need some match coaching while we're there, okay? Right. You do need to go to the world shoot. I'm talking about Pan Am. Yeah, but still, you do need to go to the world shoot. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yes, it will be. It'll be awesome. I'm looking forward That's to that. That's the whole and reason that I started shooting USPSAs because I wanted to shoot World Shoot. That's it. <laughs> right. I need to tell you guys about these targets. Mm. So I just, oops, I want my earbud. Not used to these. So Bill Duda, Go Fast, Don't Suck, helped me out with these dry fire targets. I've been doing a lot of vision training and There's this vision training program that's proven to improve your accuracy by 12 to 18%. So I incorporated that into this dry fire kit. So the first thing you'll notice is these little, I call them training wheels. So he's got like all these little vinyl stickers that peel off and you can stick them on the wall, peel them off the wall and move them around and it doesn't ruin your paint or anything like that. So the dot in the middle here is the same size as a four MOA dot, which is the same as the average person's focal point at five yards. So everything being equal, imagine everyone has 20-20 vision. Your focal point at five yards is going to be the size of this dot on this target. So what you do is you put this on your wall, take your phone, and get a video of your eyeballs as you're focusing on that little dot. No gun at all. You're just trying to keep your eyes still on that dot. If you see movement of your eyes in the video, then that's gonna give you the feedback that you need to improve it. Ultimately, you want your eyes to only move zero to one times. So the top shooters in the world can hold their eyes still on that dot without moving. And you can too, you just have to train your eye muscles to do it. Another cool thing is these targets. So if you're on the audio rip, this is a IPSC style target, a classic target. And the middle of it actually peels out. So you can remove the A zone, which is actually your target. The rest of this target is not your target. You don't wanna be aiming at that. You wanna be aiming at the A zone. So you take your A zone and put it up on the wall, forces you to aim a little bit smaller and actually see what you need to see. That's nice, I like that. Another cool thing is these targets look super weird. 
because it is an IPSC style target that you imagine it had a no shoot over the top of it in some formation. Yeah, peel stickers. Okay. So this, this target had a no shoot over it and we just took away the no shoot and now we have our remaining target. So this helps you practice, this is my target. This is what I'm looking at. Your eyes see everything, but you can actually process what you want to pay attention to and don't want to pay attention to. So you can isolate what you want to look at and eliminate what you don't want to look at, which is the no shoot. Just like if I told you, uh, let's say we're at the Mall of America and I say, find someone in a red shirt. You are actually, even though you're seeing everything, you are going to filter out information you don't need. So you will only see people with red shirts. This kind of does the same thing. We're filtering out the no shoot and practicing just looking at our remaining target. Another thing in this kit is for smooth visual pursuits. So I've, I'll talk in my other videos about saccades versus smooth visual pursuits. What, the saccades are for transitioning between two targets. Pixie, I need help. I can't peel stickers. It's really stuck. Okay, well, I'll show you here. This curved line mimics the movement of a swinger. And within this, this kit, I got this dry fire swinger made by Go Fast, Don't Suck. So you take away the swinger and just put that arc on the wall and your eyes move in a smooth visual pursuit. We call it tracking. So what you wanna do is again, get video of your eyes tracing that line and they should be moving at speed, but not jumping from one focal point to another. They should be moving smoothly. This is like when you go to the eye doctor and they hold a pencil up and move it back and forth in front of you and you're supposed to follow it with your eyes. They're watching to make sure. <laughs> They're watching to make sure your eyes aren't jumping around because that means you have a vision problem. So you don't want your eyes jumping around as you're tracking a target. They should be moving in a smooth line and you can get that feedback by getting video of your eyes. And the last thing here is steel poppers, but the center of the popper peels out because that is what you're actually aiming at. So what you do is you dry fire it with the whole popper, then you peel off the middle and dry fire it again with just the spot you're aiming at. Then you put it back, dry fire it again as the whole thing. And you find that when you isolate it that way, your accuracy increases by that 12 to 18%. Scientifically proven in multiple meta analyses and also peer reviewed journals. Nice. Available in South Africa when? <laughs> well, I can probably do a shipment to Southern Sky Operations, just like I did with the book. So we I can think work that out. I think to contact you about that. Yeah, we can work that out. Cool. So Chris, is there anything you wanted to say about Shooting Revolver that you didn't get to say? Do you have any sponsors or anyone mm. you want to plug? Blue bullets, they're really cool. Uh, Hogue, actually. So they made me these really sweet uh, Ipsig grips for the uh, world shoot that is postponed. Uh, big shout out to them. Those are pretty neat. I got to be honest. With you. <laughs> no, they. I'm really excited. He he sent me a a picture of like a bunch of different, and I'm like, oh, that one right there. I, that. <laughs> nice. I wanted backup grips too, but. Um, he uh, he ran out of the wood, but I did have some uh, black Ooh, and white ebony made. Those are so. Those are so much. You got to you got to use those on your gun for the world shoot. Those are awesome. Right? They'll, they'll be on. 
one of them or both of them. I'm not sure. So hug well, grips. You Check those out. Grip. <laughs> take a backup. Um, but I, I see the grips are quite smooth. Obviously, I mean, we try and put them as much sandpaper and grip texture on our grips as much as possible. Is there a reason why they're smoother? <laughs> Manipulate um, yeah, actually, so we also use um, so there's a there's a fine line, and I think uh, Keita's seen me like dig up dirt and put dirt on mm -hmm. my hands to try to to get some of the sweat off. But we wanted to be smooth because when we're shooting the gun, we want to be able to roll it and and not stick to us because we're reloading. It's just a reloading game. So a lot of the guys will yeah. use cornstarch even and put cornstarch on their hands to make it even slipperier and they just use leverage points on the gun to lock it in place plus these things are actually pretty heavy too like there's no weight <laughs> restrictions on those there's no box that it has to fit in so something so, i've uh, seen <clears throat> something i've seen a lot of guys do is not with revolver necessarily i haven't seen a lot of revolver shooters but with with pistol grip, um, they'll put the pistol grip on their hands and then they'll take baby powder and put it in the webbing between their thumb and forefinger so that when they have to reload, they have the grip on the gun for shooting, but the spot they need it to be slippery is slippery. Nice. That I way you have the best of both worlds. As much liquid chalk on my hand as is humanly possible without it, you know. Add in like a whole hand width. That's what I. That's what I do with mine. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and when I shoot semi-autos, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the fronts of my fingers and and just everywhere, just the liquid chalk, the little goop. Mm -hmm. um, but with this stuff, uh, we so he's got a little bit of texturing. I don't know if you can really see that. A little bit of texturing on the front. Um, Wag, but cool. but other than that, uh, no, we yeah, because like that's not going to impede your reload if it's on no. the front. Right. <clears throat> and um, they're actually modified. So Jerry Michalek has the his Jerry Michalek grips, um, which are really, really nice. And then Hogue came out with some grips that were sort of styled off of them because Jerry went to Hogue and had Hogue make them. Well, then we said, hey, could you make us some Jerry Michalek grips, but then put this big butt on the end? <laughs> um so it's it's like a Jerry big butt is what we call it. <laughs> uh, or Jerry. Like it's it's small enough that you can actually get a really even if you've got small hands like me, you can really like crank down on it and the gun's really not gonna move anywhere. Nice. It's beautiful. Your power factor is not 125, if I remember correctly. It's a little bit higher than than that. Or am I remembering so, incorrectly? No, it's a Revo still minor. Um, but because we've got the cylinder gap in between the cylinder and the barrel, uh, you do lose a little bit of it. <clears throat> so, and then, uh, in, in my experience, not all chronos are made the same. So no. <laughs> I was at like 130, and then I just decided to bump it up to I'm shooting about 135 power factor just so I have that extra margin. And there's no there's no slide so you don't have the reciprocating mass and you know the barrel's pretty hefty so the gun really doesn't move as as long as you try to get as high as possible um yeah you're very accurate the, with that thing thanks it's it's been a very long quick. terrible <laughs> process a lot of <laughs> it's it's hard it's it's really yes. hard you're like what's Sometimes. the hardest thing i can possibly shoot of ever okay i'm gonna do that <laughs> right yeah so what's your training regime like um round count per week and i'm assuming you dry fire like every single day because reloads <laughs> right it yeah so actually i haven't um because i've been waiting um for the for them to figure out what's going on with the world shoot and since components right now are really hard to get i have not been shooting at all i don't even think i've shot a match uh, i shot Maybe like five or six hundred rounds at uh, Kita's class last. Was that last year? Yeah, I believe it um, was. <clears throat> but other than that, um, so yeah, so when I'm when I'm gearing up for it, uh, a thousand rounds a week, uh, I try to squeeze in um, before a major match. Um, and how are you splitting yeah. that up? Uh, so maybe two, 
two or three range sessions, depending. I mean, like if I can only get out to the range, it's like, well, let's shoot until my hands get sore. And then, you know, you try to just do the the most difficult thing that you don't think that you're ever going to find at a match, like 25 yard partial swingers that are moving really quick um, and that sort of thing. I mean, the, the fundamentals <laughs> are all the same, um, but it's, yeah, just dry fire reloads is the biggest, I think the biggest thing. And then even then the, I think the, the mental outlook and, and stage planning is maybe even a little bit bigger than that. That's probably the mm-hmm. biggest because you've only got eight shots. So you've got to make it work yeah. somehow. And try to find a flow. Right. So on stage plan, do you find yourself deliberately running safer stage plans at matches? Or do you take a few risks where you're going to shoot eight rounds in the three steel type of risks? Um. So I used to be safe and now I've found that I'm taking more risks, especially for like locals. Um, I almost treat like a, like a local as a, as a practice and I don't like try to push it as much, but, um, but I remember one time at nationals, uh, there were 40 yard steals that you could take from the back and you wouldn't have to do a standing reload up front. And I'm like, Oh, fuck it. I'll do it. Whatever. And uh, it worked out. It, it was a little bit slower um, as it turns out, but uh, you know, it's one of the, like, I'm really new at the sport, so I'm yeah, still it's, learning. It's usually <clears throat> faster to run up, depending on the right. risk. I mean, <clears throat> if it's like a bunch of headshots with no shoots, you can, and taking them back saves you a reload, then just run forward, do the standing reload, and get the hits. Yeah. So it really depends on the risk. And that's, that's what everybody ended up doing is they'd like, they ran up, shot a couple of shots, and like took two steps forward because they're reloading anyway. So you might as well get just that little bit closer. And then, you know, took the two more shots on the steel once they got up there. Okay. That's probably what cool. I do. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for I having me. It. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it was awesome yeah, meeting you and chatting, just... chatting a division I've never, never tried, probably never going to try it, but it was interesting nonetheless. All right. I mean, it is, I, I just do it just for fun. Just one, one little local match just to. No, I got, I got a 19, but as problem is no one shoots revolver at Ipsic matches. I'll be that one person on practice score that decided to go shoot revolver. I'm, yeah, and even I'm if you sure win, you don't yet. get a trophy. It's it's lonely at the top, <laughs> baby. It's lonely at the top. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. See you later. Well, yep. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Cheers.